Hey everybody, John M. with Sober Speak here. Just before we begin this episode today, a quick note. Uh, I'm releasing this episode as a special edition. In other words, I usually release episodes on Saturday morning, but you'll see I even use the language as this podcast gets started of I am coloring outside the lines with this particular podcast. I would appreciate any feedback that you have on this episode, and uh, I hope you enjoy it. I did. Hello, friends of Bill W. and other friends. You have landed on Sober Speak. On our uh, episode today, you will be hearing from Mr. Gavin D., and I'll introduce him in just a little bit. My name is John M. I am an alcoholic. We are glad you are all here, especially newcomers. Newcomers, that is, both to recovery and newcomers to this podcast as well. Just in case you haven't listened to us before, this is a show about recovery centered around the 12 steps of Alcoholics Anonymous. Our aim is to be informative and possibly have a little fun at the same time. Uh, If you are enjoying the podcast, please reach out to us. Let us know what you think at feedback at SoberSpeak.com. We would love to hear from you. You can also go directly to our website SoberSpeak.com. Quick program notes here. Um, SoberSpeak is now available on Spotify and iHeartRadio. Please remember, we do not speak for any 12-step community. We represent only ourselves. We are here to share our experience, strength, and hope with those who wish to come along for the ride. Take what you want and leave the rest at the curb. But that's enough of that. Let's dive into the episode with Gavin. Okay, so we're sitting here with my friend Gavin. Say hello, Gavin. Hello. Thanks for having me on, John. You're quite welcome. I'm so glad to have you here today. So I'm going to set it up here a little bit on the front end. Um, I am uh, what what I would call coloring outside the lines with this particular podcast. Anybody, all the folks that we have had on the podcast up to this uh, up to this point have been either members of AA or members of Al-Anon and they've had some pretty they've had some experience with the 12 steps of Alcoholics Anonymous now this particular guest um, um, I'm gonna tell you how I met him and then I'm gonna read a little bit from the from uh, Alcoholics Anonymous excuse me from the language of the heart and then I'm gonna turn it over to Gavin and we're gonna get into his story much deeper first of all I'm actually going to read something here from The Language of the Heart. For those of you reading along at home, page 346, this is from Bill Wilson uh, in The Language of the Heart. It says, this is the second paragraph. It says, then too, it would be a product of false pride to believe that Alcoholics Anonymous is a cure-all even for alcoholism. Here we must remember that our debt here we must remember our debt to the men of medicine. Here we must be friendly and above all open-minded toward every new development in the medical or psychiatric art that promises to be helpful to sick people. Now that that, that paragraph goes on and on and you can read the the context of the entire thing. But there are many many different quotes uh and uh, inferences throughout the uh, in the literature that tell us that we're not an end-all be-all and there are people that are getting sober in other ways and let me tell you now quickly how i met gavin um so i was leaving a meeting one day in at the frisco group here and for those of you who may be listening to this first for the first time frisco is a uh, a, a suburb 
in uh, Dallas, Texas, and uh, I was at a noon meeting. I left the meeting, and on the way back, I do as I usually, or not usually, I do as I do many times. Uh, this happened to be during the uh, NFL draft, and I happened to be a big NFL fan and uh, a big Dallas Cowboy fan, and I was actually going through the Star, which is the world headquarters of the Dallas Cowboys. It's just something that is of interest to me. I go by there on a consistent basis just to kind of get the vibe. I don't know what it is. It's just exciting and fun. And uh, I got out of my car this one particular day and I was walking around and I struck up a conversation with Mr. Gavin here who's sitting in front of me today. Uh, and I forget exactly how the conversation went, but he said, you know, something to the effect of, uh, what are you doing around here? You know, uh, do you work here, etc." And he asked me a couple, three different times. And finally, I just said, well, you know, to tell the truth, Gavin, I'm coming from an Alcoholics Anonymous meeting. And he was like, and his eyes kind of widened, and he put out his fist, and he gave me a little fist bump, and he goes, all right. <laughs> and so uh, he said, I've been sober for, I think, two and a half years myself. Yeah. Is that right? Uh, yeah, about two and a half, coming right. up on uh, three in September. Okay. Well, and so this was several months ago now. Yeah. Um, and so I, uh, uh, so I said, do you go to meetings around here? And I just kind of thought, perhaps he goes to Alcoholics Anonymous with me. And he said, you know what? Actually, I did it through meditation. And I was like, really? I, I, I mean, I, I, I just, I, for whatever reason, I was drawn into that. I wanted to know more about it. Um, he gave me his email address. We started kind of emailing back and forth. And so Gavin is here today. And one more thing I want to say before he starts into this here, and that is he recommended to me a, an app, right? And once again, on this program, we don't endorse or oppose anything, but I can tell you, I got a, uh, um, uh, a lot out of it. It's an app called Insight Timer. Uh, and I even found a, uh, something from a guy named Randy F A H R B A C H within there. It was like an Alcoholics Anonymous type of uh, a meditation, which I absolutely loved, and I've been using it now. Not only that meditation, but many of them now uh, for at least a couple months. Uh, I do it pretty much every night before bed, and so thank you, Gavin, for oh, turning me on to that. You're quite welcome. It, it's the thrill of my life if I can help in any way and in, in, in involve people with meditation. I, I think the benefits are, you know, wide-reaching. Okay, so obviously, you know what you know when you got sober, and yeah. there's something that brought you to yeah. being aware of that. Yeah, uh, you told me about your meditation, but I don't really know. We're discovering this together, yeah. which I absolutely love on the podcast. So tell me, before we get into the meditation piece, what brought you up to that point? Okay, so if we go back almost 10 years to, well, maybe 10 years in a few months to like uh, the spring of 2008, I was um, involved in a relationship with a gal and uh, I was a significant problem drinker and she was trying to, you know, encourage me to get help. And I was like, yeah, whatever, I, you know, I don't need help. But one night, um, it was, you know, close to a rock bottom moment. I I, I was going to take her to a, an NBA game, a Trailblazers game. I was living in Portland at the time. Mm -hmm. And, um, you know, I, a buddy of mine who was well-to-do in the area had had called me, which he would do from time to time, maybe twice a season, and say, hey, can't use my seats tonight. Would you like them? And um, 
they were they were on the second row. So whenever he called, I was like, yes. Well, that was very early in the morning for me, maybe uh, 9.30 or, or 10 o'clock. And so, you know, the game doesn't start till 7. So I called my girlfriend. I said, you're never going to guess. But he called and we're going to tonight's game. She's very excited. Um, so, you know, it's 10 a.m. And I was just living with a buddy at the time. And I was like, man, uh, let's drink and play some poker. You know, I could probably get away with this till two o'clock or so and take what I would refer to as a booze snooze from about, you know, two thirty to six, wake up, take a shower, have a cold beer, boom, I'm off and running, right? Well the booze snooze. The booze snooze. Yeah, I've never yeah, heard yeah, of that. yeah. Yeah. I thought it was clever at the time. Um I guess it is kind of funny. But uh you know, long story short, the booze snooze turned into about a six hour sleep. So <laughs> more like a crash. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So I wake up, turn on the TV, the the you know, it's dark outside. It's it's the fourth quarter of the game. I look at my cell phone. She has called me 12 times and texted me a bunch of times and and uh I was like, "Oh, okay. So this is an example of how it's seriously impacting real life now, drinking." I you know, I was one of these drinkers that could survive on four and a half or five hours sleep after getting way blown out the night before and wake up and do my job, you know? I, so I hadn't really encountered something that significant, but she wouldn't even take my call. She didn't want to see me for multiple days. So I was like, okay, let me see what this Alcoholics Anonymous is about, you know? And, and, uh, there were meetings just within a couple of miles of my house and, and, uh, you know, I, I went to probably five or six of them in a row and I was really starting to get into it. And, um, you know, but there, there was just something about the environment that for me didn't click because there were so many people at the meetings that were relapsing. And for me, I was already kind of anxious about sharing my story in front of so many people, you know. I have no problem being transparent here. I, I know it's anonymous, but um, you know I have a radio show, and I and I was doing that in Portland, and I'm now doing that in North Texas. But I have no problem talking behind a mic to tens of thousands of people at the same time. But the group dynamics, whether it's a party, I mean that that sort of social anxiety, I believe, is what set off my you know my propensity to drink, which grew into alcoholism. Right, so that's kind of maybe the background. I don't know. I'm not an expert on, on the psychology of addiction, but I really felt like it was a social lubricant for me in the beginning. And it, and it turned into, you know, something much, much worse. So, but, so let me make sure. So when, so you, when you say you went to a AA meeting and it was just something uncomfortable, are you saying that it was the dynamic of the, the, the having to share within a group of people? Is that what, what, what kind of was the, I don't know, challenge if you will with that? Yeah, it was, you know, it was talking amongst the people. And when I talked, they really liked it um, because I'm a professional talker and I could <laughs> tell stories and everything and they wanted me to do more. And I'm like, I am much more of a recluse than than that socially and then you know I, then the, the relapsing that was going on it just it it made me in a way kind of just have further anxiety about it and I should have fought through it I really should have you know if I could have quit drinking back in, in 2008 that would have been amazing it would have saved me from some of the further complications that went down the line I'm not trying to say Alcoholics Anonymous wouldn't have worked for me I'm just saying that was my exit point from it like it just so maybe I wasn't ready for it but I missed one meeting and the next thing I know it's two weeks later and I'm justifying a few that turned in 
into another seven years or so of drinking. And I'm sure that story is very, very common for people. So, you know, then I, um, uh, just a short period later, a year and a half later or so, I, I found myself moving to North Texas and, you and know, so you're drinking that entire time. Yeah, so, yeah. Right. I went. I went back to drinking. That relationship dissolved as as a result of drinking. The next relationship I had dissolved because of uh, drinking. Um, did you ever think of just out of curiosity? Did you ever think about going back to AA at that point, or was it just kind of not your thing, so to speak? You know, I I thought I I should. Okay. I thought I should, uh, but I didn't. And uh, you know, I regret that, but. Um, so I'm, I'm drinking all the way through and then I, I get to Texas and, you know, here comes a whole new set of anxieties and you're new in town and on the radio as a younger guy, which I still was at that time. It's 2010. I'm, you know, I'm supposed to be out having fun. A lot of the appearances are at bars, mm-hmm. you know, a lot of the interaction with people at sporting events, they're intoxicated. So it just became really easy for me to. Um, you know, continue on with with habits, and I'm I'm coming up, you know, over 15 years of significant, pretty heavy beer drinking. Right, I, n- I never got that hard into hard alcohol or anything, but I was. Was anybody that. else pointing? Obviously, your your girlfriend did. Were other people pointing out that you may or may not have a uh, issue with alcohol at that time, the heavy drinking, or was it just internal with you? Um. You know, people would say things like, whoa, you're a really good drinker, (laughs) you know, or holy cow, did you drink all of these, you know, stuff like that. And, um, and, you know, I met uh, a a gal down here in Dallas and she was, she would say things like, honey, you drink a lot. And I'd be like, yeah, I know, I know. And she's like, no, you drink a lot. (laughs) And, and then, you know, she'd tell me a story about somebody in her family who was the only other person she knew that would drink this much. And I was like, yeah, yeah, you know, I know, I know. But it's just something I never really considered. I, I really could be without, you know, I'd never stopped to think that it could be possible to get sober and stay sober. Um, so, you know, that went on, we had a child and, and, um, you know, as, as, you know, children often do, it starts to adjust your perspective on a what couple year of years. What year was that? When did you have the child? That was 2011. Okay. So I, I'd been here, you know, not, not too long before the family got started and that was a tremendous blessing and everything and, uh, and the kids there and, and that's cool and. You know, the drinking continued. There were a couple of incidents at work, you know, where, again, I'm telling you about events at bars and parties and games and stuff mm-hmm. like that. But, you know, I, I was good enough at my job that my bosses were either willing to put up with it or thought it was fine because there are so many people out there that drink in excess that I was the guy that they could relate to. So I don't know if, if, if that... And I wasn't violent. You know, I was never violent or confrontational. I was just you know, I would just kind of get quiet, you know, or, you know, maybe I would talk too much, but it it wasn't in a way that was that bad for business, maybe just obnoxious or something like that. So this is something I always ask, you know, people, especially guys that I work with that are new and such like that, you know, what what is your spiritual background? Because you want to know kind of where they are, you know, what, what, did you grow up with anything at that time? Were you 
Uh, was there anything that, uh, how do I put this? Uh, did you have any sort of conflict inside with any sort of uh, uh, consciousness, you know, of any sort of higher power, God, whatever you want to call it, that you had been brought up with? Were you struggling with that whatsoever? Yeah, I was. You know, I, I was, uh, my, my, my dad is a professor at, um, was a professor at a uh, religious college. It was affiliated with a church in town. So, you know, uh, my mom and dad met at, at a, uh, you know, non-denominational college when they were, you know, freshmen. Um, and they had just kind of continued with that affiliation of non-denominational Protestant. And, and uh, it's, it's no um, desire to cast aspersions on, on people from that background. But the specific church that I, I went to um, it just, it, it didn't resonate with me as a kid. I didn't enjoy going again, the social anxiety part of, you know, all these people and these group settings and Hey, isn't this fun? I was like, no, it's not fun. <laughs> I don't want to hang out with these people. The whole concept of how they presented it, it just, it, it didn't click with me. I, you know, I had a lot of questions in my head and just pray on it or have faith. It, so by the time I was 13, 14, 15, I was really out on it. Yeah. Right. And I thought this doesn't make sense. I can't experience this real spirituality, at least the way you're telling me to get there. I, I can't get there. Okay. So I was really cynical about anything religious. And in my mind, it was something that was made up to calm people's nerves about old age. Right. You know, that's... <laughs> That's really the way I, I looked at it for, you know, much of my adolescence and a, a big period of my adulthood. Calm people's nerves about old age. <laughs> yes. Yeah. So I, I didn't understand what it was all about. I was like, well, what's, you know, what's the point? So, you know, I, w I was unable to really experience that and. Okay, uh, so I kind of took you off track. So you were, so here you are. You're having a family. Yeah. Uh, you're in the Dallas area, and kind of take me from there. Where? Uh... Well, you know, your kids start to become more aware right. of you know what's going on in the house, and uh, I think she was uh, she had just turned four years old, and um, you know I could I could see that she started to understand that beer equaled silliness. And, you know, would say another beer, daddy, you know, because that's what mom might say or, mm -hmm. you know, stuff like that. So it started to resonate a little bit. So I was like, well, maybe I maybe I need to slow down a little bit or something. And and then um, it was around that time I really started to get selfishly into the world of um, self-improvement through reading, like the self-help stuff. Mm -hmm. But. You know, I was more into how to get power, how to live happy, how to, um, you know, get ahead in life type of stuff. And I, w I was reading a couple of different books like Bill Carnegie, How to Win Friends and Influence Dale People. Dale Carnegie. Yeah, yeah. Uh, Dale Carnegie, yeah. my bad. And my brother uh, was in town and I was telling him about this book and a couple of others. And he's like, you should try this book by Dan Harris. He's now uh, a weekend anchor on Good Morning America. And uh, he is a broadcaster like you are. And I think you could relate to his story of how he sort of fought through anxiety. And he, I don't think my brother had in mind in any way that I would use it to address addiction. Um, 
but and by the way I just you, you mentioned addiction there so when I think of alcohol I think of alcoholism when I think of addiction I think of other things outside of that scope were you were you dabbling in other arenas yeah yeah it's safe to, to say to some degree okay, yeah okay. It, it's safe to say that alcohol wasn't the only demon <laughs> well, I, hey that's my background so okay. I completely understand I mean I I, I like to have a good time mm-hmm. and uh, in in you know, sometimes in, in more than one way. But so I get into this book by Dan Harris and he had both alcoholism and addiction. You know, and what year is this again? You're um, this, book? this you is this is probably this is 2013, 2014. OK. Um, and he's he, he's the name of his book is 10 percent happier. And uh he, you know, it, it's all about his journey where he had this moment on TV where he had panicked on air and he was like, man, what was this panic about? Why did I fail so badly at my job? And he starts looking into some of the side effects of what his one of his vices was cocaine. Mm-hmm. And it's sort of this, you know, once you have that panic moment, I guess one of the symptoms of it, cocaine was not my vice, but, uh, and you know, I, I hadn't heard this before, but once that sort of fight or flight kicks in, for some cocaine addicts, like when they get worried or anxious about something, it can be like a runaway freight train on them, mm-hmm. right? So he is um, on TV and this <laughs> oh, no. spark happens of anxiety in him and it's going horribly bad and he's describing this whole thing. And I could relate to it in other ways. Like I'm, I'm thinking, man, uh, on air, sometimes that happens to me during the course of a five-hour radio show. It might not be that profound, mm-hmm. but it's the whole, your mind has hijacked uh, and now you're acting compulsively instead of mindfully, right? So he had lost control of it and he can feel himself shaking and he's trying to wrap up the segment and throw it back to the anchor before he completely breaks down in front of national TV audience and his career is ruined, right? Mm-hmm. So it's at that moment he's like, man, I got to find a way to cope with my vices and to try to make sure my brain doesn't hijack my body on 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 the air. So he starts reading about meditation and all these gurus and you know names that I don't even remember and probably couldn't pronounce <laughs> while I was reading them because the majority of them aren't you know from uh, American backgrounds and American names and things like that. But by the end of it, he's like, you know, listen, I'm not saying that meditation or mindfulness is a cure all. Um, but it's, it's given me a lot of clarity. It's helped me address my vices. And he, you know, he said, it's, it's made me 10% happier and maybe that number will grow. So I was like, Hey, um, I can relate to this story. Let me, let me read this. And, you know, I, I, I did. And, and by the end of it, I hadn't tried meditation yet, but I knew I'm going to, I'm going to meditate. So, um, so at this time, were you still, were you drinking daily? Was it intermittent or was it, you know, just when you're at parties? Do you remember? Um, there would be periods where I would probably drink for three months every day. And then I'd scale it back to four days a week. And then I'd go on another 90 day or, you know, and then say, oh, that wasn't good. And or, you know, you'd really start to feel the effects of. Uh, extreme drinking over more than a decade where your body is dehydrated and bad. I remember a, a night in Las Vegas where I'd been going hard for like three straight days, which I used to be able to do no problem. Yeah. 
And now I'm like, whoa, am I about to die from alcohol poisoning? I need to, I went into a 7-Eleven and got like a liter of ice cold water and drank the whole thing, got an ice pack and put it on my neck. And I'm like, I'm really starting to feel the effects, right? So I'm trying to slow down a little bit. Um, but I couldn't, you know, and, and after, you know, that fear would, would go away of, well, what was that over the weekend? Or you wake up in the middle of the night, your heart's racing, stuff like, I don't know how common these symptoms are, but that was, you know, my sort of experience. So I was trying to slow down, but failing most of the time gotcha. at that. All right. So you get this book, you've read through it. And then what happens from there? Okay. So, um, I start meditating. So do you remember like the first time I mean, were you were you did, did it sober you up at that time i mean did you start meditating and then basically sober up no um i started meditating and it it took a while it took a while because the first time i i started meditating i'm in my truck it was before my show at work and I'm like, okay, I'm going to go try to meditate for 10 minutes because I got another book called How to Meditate and I forget who wrote that book, but I'm reading it and, and you know, I read like the first hundred pages. I'm like, okay, I, I know what I'm supposed to do here. Clear my mind, maybe pay attention to the breathing or sensations in my body or whatever it is. So I'm going to try it. And I remember, you know, the first uh, couple of times just thinking, oh my God, is it not 10 minutes yet? I mean, <laughs> well, I can't stop my brain from firing out thoughts and I'm doing this totally wrong. And so I, I tried it for like uh, probably two months and I'm like, hey, this is pretty cool. And I'm starting to get the hang of it. And there were glimpses of the moments that they talk about in, in meditation where you start to feel this sort of vibe like, oh, my goodness, this is it. Yeah. Right. I can. And I'm like, oh, wow. And you're sitting there in silence with a big old smile on your face and right. all that. And, and I just have to share this with you. After you turn me on to that inside timer, I have a tendency to meditate. I do, I do it right at bedtime. And I have my earphones on and I'm laying next to my wife in bed. She doesn't even know this, right? But I was listening to that one meditation, which I was telling you about that I found earlier. I mean, I was for two or three nights in a row sobbing. I mean, nice. I was just crying. Nice. Things were coming to me that I had not yeah. thought about in years. And I was just going, oh my God. And now, now keep in mind, I'm in AA, right? Mm -hmm. We talk about prayer and meditation every day. I've been sober since 1989. Wow. And, and the only reason I'm saying that is because I know about meditation. But this is the first time that I had actually experienced experienced that by yeah. just trying something new from it's something so you turned on turned me on to and I'm and I'm so glad about that let me just take a little pause here um, we'll be continuing our conversation with mr. Gavin in just a moment just a reminder you're listening to sober speak you can find us on the worldwide interweb at soberspeak.com uh, there you'll find approximately 28 or so uh, other episodes you can listen to um, there's also a donate button there if you're inclined to do such. But uh, keep in mind, this is uh, this podcast is funded by you, the listener. And I just want to point this out real quick. Sober Speak is not is self-supporting through our own contributions. We are not allied with any sect, denomination, politics, organization, or institution. We do not wish to engage in any controversy, neither endorse nor oppose any causes. All right, now. Back to Mr. Gavin. All right, so you are, uh, you're, you're in your truck, you're trying to meditate. 
uh, you're going into a show or going into work. And then, so take me from there forward. Okay, so it went for a couple of months and I stopped. You stopped what? I stopped meditating. Stop, okay. Yeah, I stopped meditating. And, um, you know, I, I remember telling people whenever maybe meditation would come up, because it went for months where I wasn't, I wasn't meditating, maybe even close to a year. And uh, I remember telling people, wow, you know, it's really cool. I should probably uh, go back and do it. But I just, you know, I fell out of the habit. It's, it's, it, it, initially, it was kind of like working out where, you know, you can go for three or four months, but then just a couple of days and out of the routine. And now my routine had shifted and it, it didn't totally stick with me for, for whatever reason. But I knew I was going to get back to it eventually. So we end up at the Super Bowl. In um, Phoenix, I believe Phoenix or New York, and Martellus Bennett, the old Cowboys tight end, is there. And long story short, Martellus Bennett was a real controversial type of figure when he was with the Cowboys. Marty B. He did his own thing. He did not march to the beat. So, you know, we were on the radio, and it's a sports radio show, and we're talking about how bad Marty B is. And there was a real rivalry between our radio station and him. So we get to this particular Super Bowl on Radio Row, and he wants to come on our show. And we're like, there's no way Marty B wants to come on our show. <laughs> Why? Does he, does he want to rip us all? So I'm like, well, crap, I'm probably going to need a six-pack of beers after this show because we're going to have Marty B on and let the fireworks commence. So first question to Marty B, hey, can you update us on how your journey's gone since you left uh, DFW? And he goes, well, would you like to know about my football journey or my spiritual journey? And the next 10 minutes, it really was profound. From the most immature, from the most controversial, the most ready-to-fight player, yeah. the most anti, um, you know, our particular radio station person to, I'm sorry, that wasn't me that didn't like you guys. That was my ego. Why did he have this angst against your station? Do you have any idea? Well, you know, he would say things like, what's the point in practicing? They're not going to throw the ball to me anyway. This oh. is Jason Witten's team, you know, um, and we would kill him for it. Gotcha. We would okay. absolutely kill him for he it. He didn't like your viewpoints yeah. about him. Yes. Okay, and, you, you know, <laughs> hey, if you talk about a man, be prepared to be confronted about it. So I was prepared to be confronted about it. But he had pulled this amazing 180 and just talking to him was so inspiring for me. And so towards the end of the interview, I, I said, is, is there anything you would recommend to people? Um, and he recommended the book, The Power of Now by Eckhart Tolle, I believe is how you pronounce his name. And he is kind of a, 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 a non-religious sort of mindfulness person. But he, he wrote this incredible book that's one of the most popular in the world on mindfulness, The Power of Now. And I read that book. And I'm, I was really inspired to be in a meditative state of mind by not even meditating. It was just his words and the way that he explained how your, how, how your mind is. It's really, you know, uh, a, a, a result of memory and imagination. And it's not who you really are. And if you can get in touch with this person, this being that's really beyond your set of memories and compulsions. Mm -hmm. There is a beautiful inner person inside, right? Okay, so, and, and once again, I'm kind of taking you off track, but this is something I've always been really curious about, and I think most people that do meditation will struggle with, and that is 
reading a book like that, or just, I guess this is why they call it practice, right? I told you about those kind of mountaintop experiences that I had when I first started here a couple months ago, really doing a deep every night. Um, But a lot of times, as you know, just the chatter takes over your brain and you're thinking about what you have to do tomorrow, what went on the day before, whatever the case may be. How do... I don't even know if you're the person to ask this, but how do you calm down that chatter where where meditation is concerned? Um, I'm, I'm not the right person to ask. You're correct about that. <laughs> I'm in no way resembling a guru or someone qualified to answer that. But from my experience, I've been at it for, you know, oh, wow, full time, quite a, what, three and a half years or so. Okay. I think it's just practice. But they never stop coming. They don't stop coming. The trick is to let them come up without grabbing them and playing with them. So there's several different techniques, you know, and you probably become familiar with with a couple of them as far as how to envision what to do with those ideas. One of my favorite ones is you're sitting next to a creek and it's running downhill. And as these thoughts come up, you take them out of your brain and a leaf is floating by on this creek. You set it on the leaf and it yeah. flows downstream and you watch this thought go away. Right. Uh, there's another one where the thought is on top of a glass and you run your finger 360 degrees around the glass and just knock it off the side. Oh. You know, So there's a yeah. couple of okay. different visualization right. things. But in the end, I believe the answer is you don't stop it because that's the nature of the human brain and an incredible survival instinct and an incredible evolutionary instinct for us to always be improving and always be on the lookout. It's safety, it's innovation, it's making us better. But unless it's mind blowing, Mm -hmm. just let them bubble up and recede. Right. right? So after quite a bit of practice, it becomes sort of a little bit more natural. But, you know, from what I can tell, the people that, that reach a point where it's actually able to bubble up and go away, um, we're, we're looking at double-digit years of, of meditation yeah. outside of the people that have these profound, enlightening experiences of almost instant consciousness, which are right. very, very rare. Gotcha. Yeah. Okay, so you've read this book, uh, The Power of Now, yeah. uh, you, and that was all from that uh, interaction with uh, uh, Marty B. And then what... So, so take me on past there. Okay, so a couple of weeks after finishing it, like as I'm reading it, I'm really in this great place and I'm like, it's the power of now, everybody. This is great, <laughs> you know, but a couple of weeks later, it goes away. You know, I, I could remember intellectually a lot of the things, but that feeling. When you say it, you're talking about that feeling, right? Yeah, that, that the meditative. kind of lightness. Yeah, that. the, it's all good. You right. know, uh, what, whatever happens, it's probably pretty meaningless. I should just be happy and I can deal with the things that pop up without, you know, having it to ruin my day or, or sidetrack me or whatever. So after a couple of weeks after that, I was like, man, you know, that meditation thing that I was doing, that felt similar to what I felt. And another friend of mine that had read The Power of Now was like, yeah, it went away for me too. And I'm like, well, I'm pretty sure it needs a, a daily or semi-daily type of tune-up to get your mind back in that place. In Alcoholics Anonymous, we call that the uh, the basically a maintenance, right? Okay. Uh, it, it's about doing the maintenance steps on a consistent basis and uh, uh, not what we call resting on your laurels. 
uh, but it's the same thing, right? These principles are all over the place. What we always liked about an Alcoholics Anonymous, and you tell you hear people say this all the time, is they took 12 steps and they one, two, three, four, five, six, seven. You know, all that stuff you can find in, in the Bible or other spiritual literature, wherever it is. They just kind of packaged it up for somebody like me to where I could take it in order and then just keep practicing it. So anyway, that feeling kind of went away, so to speak. Yeah. And what happened then? Well, I started committing to meditation again. And, uh, you know, so I'm meditating and, and doing the daily thing. And I'm like, I'm not going to stop doing it this time. Um, and I got myself into a pretty good routine where I was doing it five days a week before the show in the morning in my truck. Really? Yeah. So you're doing it in your truck. So do you like drive up to the station or right outside the station, kind of take your quiet time? Yeah, there? yeah. We have a parking garage. Yeah. I find a place where it's flat ground so I don't feel off kilter or anything. And I go in and I get my work done and I'm all ready for the show with about an hour to go. Um, so I go to my truck and I do it to this day. And I sit there and, you know, between 15, if I have enough time, 40 minutes of, you know, meditation. And, and are you listening to something or is it yeah. just pure between you and... Yeah, I, uh, I, uh, I found this, uh, this different app, uh, Mind Headspace. 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 And uh, I would highly recommend that one as well. I mean, I don't want to endorse anything. I understand. But it's really cool for beginners right. because it can, you know, it's got like this free pack. It cost, it costs a little bit of money, so maybe I wouldn't recommend it uh, entirely. But there, it came with a free introductory ten lessons, right? So I listen to these ten lessons. I buy the app and I'm jamming on that. And they're twenty minute packs, and you know, they address things from anxiety to do you want to overcome fear? Do you need more confidence? Do you want to be more loving? Do you want to work on your relationships? And it was very well. Westernized. That's the word. It, you know, it's very you know clinical, and we're approaching this from an X's and O's standpoint in psychology. And boom, if you meditate, no spirituality at all, right? There's no spirituality anywhere on this app. So for me, at that point, yeah, again, yeah, yeah. going back to our conversation earlier, I was like, this is great. It's perfect. The dude has a really pleasant like British accent and all that, and I'm like, man, Andy's my guy. That's his name. And I still have Headspace Andy, because I know, yeah, it's, it's Andy Dobson or something. Yeah. Like that. Yeah, 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 that might be. Yeah. yeah, yeah. So I still use Headspace because uh, it's got this uh, section for kids. And at night, if my daughter's struggling to sleep, there's a, like these little five-minute body scan meditations yeah. that really are magic for kids and is a nice introduction to mindfulness or whatever. So, so Tim, so the, the drinking and the meditation, how did they... Uh, uh, inter, inter, how are they interwoven here? And when do you remember a time to where... Uh, I, I'm just trying to understand wh where was the point to where you were using meditation and, and you use that as a as a methodology, if you will, to quit drinking. Okay, so one of the big parts of it is this mindfulness, right? And you're slowing down. You are you're trying to stop your thoughts, and as they pop up, you're swatting them down. But it's also really paying attention to the body. And yoga is really good for this as well because, you know, you're in the middle of yoga and something's really hurting, but you're, you're kind of blocking it out. You're just focusing on the stretch. You're not increasing the pain by adding suffering, by adding the mental component of it, of really thinking about it, right? Mm -hmm. And it's, it's through these couple of things that I'm not sure exactly how to explain it, but through mindfulness, you gain a better appreciation of listening to your body. 
um, uh, you are noticing more things about how your body works. And for example, if you eat something, how you feel. If, if you drink something, how you feel. And you can see the correlations. You start to really get an understanding of, wow, um, you know, I didn't want to go really into the pantry and get that brownie and eat it all. But something in my brain just fired and said, go do that. And I did it. And before I know it, like I ate four of them. Right. And wow, you know, when I drink the next day, I really feel dehydrated. My legs ache. I'm like, I got this headache. And like, you know, so uh, it's it, it began to make it click in my mind a little bit more how alcohol was having much more of a profound impact on my health, my ability to think, my ability to do the job well, my ability to be present in the moment with my family. You know, and that might be the biggest thing is I started to look at alcohol not as a a social lubricant, but as something that was preventing me from being conscious, from being present with my family. And I started to look at drinking as, oh my goodness, like this is ignorance on steroids. This is unconsciousness with a turbo button on it. <laughs> and for years it felt great, right? You could block out everything that was... That should be the title of a book. Yeah. Unconsciousness <laughs> with a turbo button on it. <laughs> yeah, so, you know, and and so I knew that slowing down on drinking was, was something that I had to accomplish, but I hadn't really considered completely stopping because, I again, I couldn't conceptualize it. Mm-hmm. And uh, I'm doing meditation more and more often. I'm starting to get an appreciation of the mind over matter parts of, you know, how how the, the journey can go if if you're not just going to be a slave to those impulses. So at this point, did the drinking slow up in any form or fashion, or were you still drinking as much? Do you remember? I was still very capable of having huge runs. You know, whether it's going out of town or going out for an event, but maybe I was more consistently taking a day or two off per week. Gotcha. Um, So I'm sort of in that mode. And we had just come out of, uh, well, it was that that Vegas trip I told you about. Mm -hmm. I believe that was Mayweather Pacquiao. Okay. And... For those of you who may not be familiar with that, that they're going up there for a boxing yeah, yeah. Uh, match. So. Huge, huge event. Yes. Oh, man. What an incredible <laughs> weekend. Just walking around by myself. You know, I like to do things loner style and drinking like a madman. And, <laughs> and it was great because there's no open container laws. You could just walk right into a convenience <laughs> store and get a 24 or get a pint of whiskey, whatever you needed to do. I understand. I used to love those places that you could drive through and you didn't even have to get out of your car. It's like, uh, hey, I could just keep drinking. I don't yeah. even have to get out of my car here. But nonetheless. Yeah. So you're there for that event. Uh, yeah. And then shortly thereafter, it it was, uh, you know, some other kind of event that we were at. And I was like, man, this really put me in, in a bad way physically and mentally. And, of course, the post-drinking guilt. And my daughter's getting older. And I'm, you know, so I hadn't even thought about it, to be honest with you, that much. Hadn't and thought about what's it? Stop, stopping drinking. Stopping drinking, okay. Up, up until the moment I stopped drinking, I didn't think uh, it was possible. And I didn't think I would do it. But my parents were in town. And we went to a taco shop in East Dallas. And they're like, would you like a beer? And I said, no, 
for the first time in my life, unequivocally, no. I said no to a beer. And they get beer. You know, they're very casual drinkers. They're very responsible drinkers. So did, did anybody else around you notice that? Or was it just you that noticed? Like, in other words, did your parents notice that you didn't have a beer and that would be out of uh, character, if you will? They might have thought it, but they didn't indicate it to okay. me. Um, so the revelation really was more for you internally at that moment. Yeah. Yeah. I was like, okay, cool. I said no to a beer, you know? And I suppose I would say no, but maybe if I was at work, I wouldn't drink at work unless it was like the final hour of the show or something where it's kind of, you know, letting the hair down or whatever. And the bosses didn't frown on it too much, especially because uh, Coors Light was a sponsor. <laughs> so it worked, right? It totally worked. And it, it was totally enabling at the same time. I wonder but... if I could get Coors Light to be a sponsor of this show. <laughs> Maybe Coors Cutter. Yeah. <laughs> That's right. Um, so, yeah, you know, I they they uh, after dinner, they were like, okay, uh, you want a beer? Because they were going up for their second and two is their limit. And I said no, and they come back to the table, and I said, you know, I think I'm going to quit drinking. I, I think, uh, I think this is it. And they're like, why? That and, was your parents at the table in yeah, the restaurant in East yeah. Texas Taco Shop. Yeah, and and I, I said, well, you know, I'm 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 really feeling it, you know, uh, and I, I just, I think I need to, and it was from that moment. That I, I really, I, it just fully hit. You know, it wasn't like a, I hope to make it the next two months. I went into work the next week and I'm like, yeah, I quit drinking. They're like, ha ha ha, for how long? I'm like, forever. I'm never going to have a drink again. I, I guarantee it. And uh, I joke about it now. I'll say I'm in retirement, but like all <laughs> the all time greats, I reserve the right to come out like Brett Favre, right? Right. <laughs> And who knows? I might, you know, I might, I might relapse at some point. But in my mind, I've totally quit. And and maybe in old age, when I'm past the point where it even matters to look out for my health, I'll have some beers at that point. But I doubt it, you know, j- just because I I want to be fully aware. I don't want to be unconscious with the turbo button on, you know. <laughs> I want to fully, you know, enjoy and experience life as a piece of life in an unbelievably awesome universe instead of going around with blinders on. So it was meditation's awakening of my mind to how intoxicating real life can be. You know, you you talked about crying as you're sitting there in bed. Those those sort of emotional experiences of pure bliss, Mm -hmm. they don't stop when you continue. It's not a beginner thing. It's a thing that becomes more and more and more available to you. To the point that if you're in a crowded mall or at the fair and it's 101 degrees and you're like, wow, can my kid please get off this ride and tell me it's time to go home? You can slow your mind down and enjoy just being there and not fighting it with your mind, not fighting it with your impulses. So that meditation informed me that you can be drunk on life in a real way. You know, we go back to youth group and that non-denominational Protestant church I told you about, and they would talk about that and they were experiencing, you know, God or, you know, whatever it was for them. For me, it didn't click at that age. I was too much of a young meathead or I had my ears closed or I was thinking about getting home to play Super Mario Brothers in 1987. (laughs) You know, that didn't click for me then, but it, it really clicked. At that point in you know my mid, my mid to late thirties that whoa this is 
this is real. Like you, you don't have to just use discipline to say no to alcohol. You say no to alcohol because it interferes with your ability to enjoy pure consciousness. Wow. You know, so, um, so here, so here's one thing I was thinking of while you were talking and that is the thing that is, you know, I don't know if I personally could have ever done it that way, right? Uh, but that's why I'm saying AA does not have a lock on the way that people can get sober. Uh, and that's why I wanted to have you in here. The The thing that was kind of a, a missing for for me, which you do not need, obviously, uh, and that is it was kind of the group thing, right? Uh, with people kind of gathering around you, helping you out, supporting you. You were able to, through apps and books and such and just kind of research and going out to your truck for you know 15 to 30 minutes at a time uh experience some that that sort of spiritual enlightenment and what we always say in alcoholics anonymous is is if you fail to enlarge your spiritual life you're almost doomed Mm. to drink yeah so you are experiencing it in another way. You Absolutely. are enlarging your spiritual life and you're continuing down that path. And you know how you have ex- experienced enlightenment in a different way, so to speak. Yeah, not 100% enlightenment, but I hope to oh, one day. Right. Um, but no, I, I think the point you're making is maybe I've crossed through a lot of the steps of the 12-step recovery program through meditation yeah. with, without may, maybe being aware that that that's that's what I was doing. Right. So let me. So here's here's what I would be curious about because you know I I by the way I I live and breathe Alcoholics Anonymous. Right. I absolutely love it. it it's part of my. It, it's in my cells. It's in my bones. Is what I'm all about. Um, and so I, I know a lot about AA. And and so I'm I'm thinking of this as you're explaining to me. Did you ever go through a, a, a some sort of experience where like, you know, a big part of AA is making amends, right? And you kind of go back through your life and you think about your life and, and how to make amends. Did, did any of that experience come up to for you as you were doing your meditation? Do, do you recall? You know, maybe in my, own, in my own way, I've gone to people that I've been sideways with in the past yeah. and restarting the relationship. I've never communicated. Well, I'll take that back. You know, there have been a couple of friends that I've said, man, I'm really sorry for how this happened. Or I hope you um, will accept my apology for, you know, things that I did in the past when I was, you know, a much more reckless person. Like, for example, probably 2006, I think maybe 2007. Women's World Cup is in Portland, and uh, they were advertising on the radio station I was working at. My dad calls me, says, "Hey, I want to take your sister to a Women's World Cup game. It's here in town. Great, you know, can do. I got you tickets, and uh, I just need to get them to you on game day. So game day comes. I start uh, drinking and playing poker, um, and mm. you know, I." I, I totally spaced it. I, you know, my, my cell phone's over there. They, they're ringing me. They're at the game. They're like, you know, we really need to meet you here so you can get these tickets from Will Call for us. And I let them know how bad I felt about it. Mm-hmm. Um, 
But that's something, I think that's something that might still be ahead in my journey. Yeah, possibly. Uh, but, you know, to me, uh, and, and every, it's, it is an individual journey for everybody, right? Kind of looking at their wrongs and making them right in the best way they can, right? You can't fix everything, uh, but there are things that can be fixed, so to speak. And, you know, certain, uh, uh, certain uh, steps that I can take to get me there. Another thing that I think about, you know, within the steps themselves is this idea of, of inventory. When I say inventory, you know, either a kind of a spot check inventory where you're, t you know, looking at yourself on a daily basis or you're looking at yourself at the end of the day and kind of thinking, you know, about how can I get better? You know, what can I do better in my life? Do you have any sort of experience in that arena? It sounds like you do from... Oh, yeah. Yeah. Like um, diet, uh, um, really watching beyond alcohol what I'm uh, putting in my body, sleep, um, self-hate, you know. Um, ah, so talk to me about that because a lot of people in AA experience that as well. Do you want to dive into it? Because sure. I, I, I have that as well. So what do you mean when you say self-hate? Well, uh, you know, particularly in my business, you're out there for the entire world and you're under the gun to say something profound or um, sensational or whatever it might be. So over the course of five hours, there's going to be uh, multiple times per show where you didn't have the right words. You know, you didn't, um, you might have thought you had the right words, but then you look on the feedback via Twitter or text you know, program that we have and people are, are letting you know very clearly that you are not only wrong, but you don't even deserve to be on the radio, <laughs> right? So it's those kinds of moments that would really get those wheels turning on, oh my goodness, I can't believe that I actually made it this far being this big of an idiot. I, I can't believe that these people are still paying me to do this job. I'm not that good. You know, I'm, you know you're know. you only here because you got lucky and, and stuff like that. Really self-defeating psychology that I, I think a lot of people experience mm -hmm. and is probably uh, very much uh, human nature for a, a lot of us. I guess only the lucky ones don't have this part, but I'd be surprised if everybody doesn't experience that to, to some extent or another. Um, so, you know, when those things come up, you know, the further I've gotten down this, this road of mindfulness and, and meditation, I'm able to take a breath and just sort of reset myself on, on where I am and, you know, and then try to move forward without that constantly playing on a loop because, you know, it could happen on a Monday and not really exit my hamster wheel of thoughts <laughs> for 48 that. hours. Right. You know, if it's really bad, it might go on for two weeks. <laughs> and these are the kinds of things that can prevent you from having the glorious, spontaneous creativity that made your show good. Right. You know, so you're in your own thoughts. You're not able to not only get your job done. You're not able to think of new ways and exciting ways to innovate and get your job done differently, but now you're shut off to the outside world. Now you get home, honey wants to talk, kid wants to talk, and it's like, hold on, I'm really thinking about something important over here about how I messed up and how I can't believe that I'm in this spot because I don't deserve it, okay? Leave me alone. You know, so the, the self-hate thing is just absolutely miserable and just getting 10% relief from it. You know, in, in, 
empowered me, motivated me to want more. I'm like, man, is there any way I can get 20% rid of it? Is there any way I can build this out and keep going? And what if I add minutes of meditation? I read that the Dalai Lama wakes up early every day to do four hours of meditation before he starts his day because he looks at it as a suit of armor from the outside, you know, interfering with his inner peace. So... You know, that that self-hate is the most toxic thing. There's science out that it's actually, you know, killing us. You know, that sort of release of those negative, Mm -hmm. you know, and that tension and what do they call it? Cortisol. It causes us to gain weight, you know. um, So that's that's the thing that, you know, I I really notice and am striving to eliminate. Right. That's great. Yeah, you know, I I always say, you know, we all struggle, uh, all of us with what others think of us. Uh, You know, I always tell my kids that, uh, you know, you may think that those people, uh, whoever you're watching, whether it's in school or wherever, um, have it all together and they don't have any struggles. But in reality, we all have that little place, we all have that little place inside that says, if only they knew, right? If yeah. only they knew what was going on in this hamster wheel, as you call it, inside my little pea brain. Uh, if only they knew they wouldn't like me or they wouldn't want to be near me or they'd figure out that I was a fake or whatever the case may be. But that's where that meditation, like you said, comes into play uh, and it can help slow that down. Uh, it's not that we ever get rid of it completely, but it can definitely help slow us down. Yeah, you know, it helps us connect with people better. You know, if, if you can get out of that, then, you know, you might think I'm not a nice person or I'm not a person that people want to talk to. But if you can stop that and just pay attention to the moment and the person you're talking with, it changes you very profoundly. You know, this, this is a, a little bit more scientific and maybe a, a little bit uh, deep, but, you know, the, the cells, the atoms in our body are constantly uh, turning on and turning off and dying off and making new ones. We're in this constant state of change. Yeah. So there's nothing restricting you to what you've been your entire life. It, the The only thing is, is is the prison that you've made inside your own mind by the conditioning of your experiences, which make you feel a certain way about how you're experiencing the present. If you can completely strip yourself of all of that, mm-hmm. Your body, your mind, your spirit will remake itself in a very short period of time. And you can become a a more vibrant person, a more relatable person, a person that's connecting with people. Uh, It's a process. I'm not saying it's easy or anything like that. But, you know, those are the kinds of of, uh, revelations that that I've seen in my life and have read about and then experienced. And I'm like, you know, to me, this this is where it's at. This This is how to get the most out of life. Is it, and uh, amen, brother, as they would say. Yeah, yeah. Um, and uh, I would just add on to that real quick, and that is um, that I always had this belief my entire life um, that people did not change and they can't change, uh, and that they were going to be... Now, they may get older, they may get more mature, but basically, if you put somebody in a situation and you turn up the heat, they were always going to react in the same way. And I had plenty of evidence around me to uh, uh, to, to back up my claims, if you will. Yeah. But after coming to Alcoholics Anonymous, I did see that 
people can change. You're not stuck being who you are. But yeah. it takes a combination of things. From my perspective, it takes a combination of some sort of spiritual experience, whether it takes the form of what you had or what I have. And then it also takes work on my part. And work, like for example, work is doing that meditation on a consistent basis and trying to improve my life and being self-aware and doing the things that I need to do in order to uh, stay sober. Man, that, that's the greatest thing about, and I, I believe a, a part of Alcoholics Anonymous is surrender to a higher power or some, something like that. Yeah. So the, the really cool thing about the, the higher powers is that they all have this sort of end in common and this experience in common. And I know the world is busy fighting with each other about which one is right and which one is wrong. And, 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 and that's really unfortunate because they all have this common link of trying to find a way to connect people through this unified consciousness and these, these experiences that we can, we can all have to the extent that, you know, and I'm, I'm not trying to go too religious on you, but it is Alcoholics Anonymous. <laughs> um, you know, if you look at what Jesus is talking about, when he talks about prayer, it's closer to meditation than what maybe traditional American prayer is. The, the root of the word amen is actually amen, which is often chanted as om oh. Oh. through Hindu and Buddhist culture. Right, right. Um, so in, 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 I've, I've ex, explored a couple of different uh, Christian mystic type authors, and one of them who is incredibly profound, he's one of my top three authors in the entire world, is a man by the name of Richard Rohr, R-O-H-R. And he talks about this contemplative prayer, which is having biblical things in mind, maybe meditating on a piece of scripture. But it, again, it's, it's much closer to meditation than, dear God, can you please fix the job for me because my boss is mean <laughs> and make this food awesome. Amen. You know, it, it's... Uh, and make this food awesome. <laughs> yeah. You know, and not to make fun of anybody's prayer. I'm sure some people are finding incredible value in traditional American prayer and all that. And I'm not here to poo-poo on it. I'm making the point to say it's much more the same thing. You know, in, in America, we're getting more familiar with yoga and meditation, but there's still this feeling from, you know, a huge section that, whoa, no, that's not for me. I'm Christian and uh, I'm not going to go dance with that devil, you know. <laughs> What is this Eastern stuff here? We're, we're going to the same place. Yeah. Very well said. Very well said, Mr. Gavin. Well, anything you want to add before we close it out here? I've really enjoyed our conversation. I'm so glad you stopped by today. Man, it's been great. I feel like, you know, talking to you about this, I've never really shared at length my story. Um, you know, because usually when you bring up that you're not drinking to drinkers, they don't want to hear anything about it. You're being a party pooper. <laughs> so just thanks to you. And, you know, if anybody uh, wants to uh, talk further, I'm, I'm, I'm wide open on, on my end. If you want to know any follow-up stuff, at uh, Gavin Dawson on Twitter. Uh, my direct messages are open. Or if, if for some reason you can't get through to me, I'm, I'm, I'm there on Facebook as well. And... Uh, you know, I, I, I appreciate the opportunity to come in and, and tell it because it's sort of 
energizing for me and, and focusing for me to, to go over some of these things. God bless you. Thank you for coming in. All right. Well, I hope everybody enjoyed that. I sure did. Once again, this is Sober Speak. Uh, feel free to go to our website, www.soberspeak.com. Dot com. We welcome all your thoughts and feedbacks. We thoughts and feedback. We'd love to hear from you. We actually have a Facebook page. I, I rarely mention that for whatever reason, but we do have a Sober Speak Facebook page. Feel free to go there. Uh, you can also contact us by email. Uh, feedback at soberspeak.com. Uh, I'd love to know how you're listening to us, where you're listening. Uh, Gavin, I don't know if you know this, but uh, uh, we, I, from the statistics that I hear, that I see, we actually have like uh, 30 plus countries listening to this. Awesome. And uh, every state in the United States except for, let me think of this, uh, Montana. I don't know what you people in Montana are thinking, but you're not listening in. Uh, Alabama, and I know there's got to be alcoholics out there. <laughs> we got to have people from Alabama listening in. So, and I think there may be one more other state that hasn't tuned in yet. But uh, uh, as always, I am going to close it up with page 164 from the big book, Alcoholics Anonymous. And this is the very last two chapters. Abandon yourself to God as you understand God. Admit your faults to Him and to your fellows. Clear away the wreckage of your past. Give freely of what you find and join us. We shall be with you in the fellowship of the Spirit. And you will surely meet some of us as you trudge the road of happy destiny. May God bless you and keep you until then. Once again, Gavin, thank you for coming along. We appreciate it. Thank you, John. You're welcome. Bye-bye.